We're starting a new series today. And it's interesting because usually when we start a new series, I'm like really excited and it's, oh, this is good. You're going to love this. It's going to help you so much. It's going to be great. I need to warn you. This series may frustrate you. In fact, there are many of you who you may not like this series. There are no steps, no five easy steps and everything's great. There's no quick fixes. Some of you may hear some of this and you might not even feel better. How many glad you came to church today? Can I see your hands? <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three stories in the New Testament. Stories in the New Testament when, from our perspective, it seems that God was inattentive. Or when God seemed to be uncooperative. Or when God seemed to be late. I'd like honesty here. Show of hands. How many of you have ever felt that God has been inattentive or, or late? Or, okay, good. We're, in good. we're in good company here. Um, we pray and we, want, we know this thing that needs to happen. And, and it's a good thing and we want it to happen. And we pray, nothing happens. We don't even feel like God's listening. And I have to say, you know who makes that even harder? It's Christians. Christians can make this more difficult when they have these amazing miracle stories. My car wouldn't start. So I prayed. And someone at that moment drove up with a new car and gave it to me. All paid for. And I'm sitting there, yeah, I don't know that that exact thing has ever happened to me. Or you're in your small group and you have um, your friends just trying to say how amazing God is. And it's like, yeah, I needed this job and I prayed and I got this job. And it is the most amazing job. I absolutely love it. And you're sitting there. You don't say it out loud, but you're thinking, yeah, mine sucks. (laughs) I'm not thinking that. Just so you know, I love my job. But you're thinking that, and it's like, I prayed too. I prayed too, and it didn't happen. Or your friend has this amazing marriage because it was going south, and they prayed, and God made everything good, and it was great. Or they're financially blessed. They prayed, and God did amazing things to that. And I know what you were thinking, because we all think it. You're thinking when they're telling those stories, why didn't it happen to me? I'm a better person. I know you're thinking that. Look at what they did. Look, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do and serve Him. And He's not answering my prayer like that. I don't even feel like He's listening to me sometimes. So what do you do when God seems silent? What do you do when God seems inattentive? Here's the big thought, the big truth for today. If you're taking notes, this is, there's an outline in your worship folder. You can follow along. It might be something that you need to look at. If not now, there will be a time. Um, here's the first thing, and I really hope that you can just get this into your heart and soul. God is, you can get this as a truth. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. It feels that way, but he's not. The story we're going to talk about today is, um, you may have heard of this guy. His name is John 
but that's not how we know him. He's John the Baptist. And I know a lot of people think he was called that because he went to a Baptist church. Has nothing to do with that. Actually, there was no church yet in existence when John was here. Um, technically, if you, if you translate his name literally, it's John the Baptizer. And the word baptize is really just transliterated from the Greek baptizo, which means to dip. So actually, his name was John the Dipper. You can see why he would prefer John the Baptist. Just way better. He was actually Jesus' cousin. Six months older than Jesus. Jesus' cousin. He was a prophet who had been called by God to do an amazing thing. To be the one that called people... And, and, and pointed people to the Messiah who was coming. He was kind of an odd duck. I would have liked him. I, was, I would have liked him. I will like him because I get to meet him. I can't wait to meet him. He, um, he wasn't your typical prophet. He, he walked around in animal skins, and he ate locust and honey. And I've heard that my whole life. And it didn't dawn on me until we had some locusts at our house. You know, when you see them, it's like, oh, locusts and honey. It's never going to be a big seller. Honey is good. Locusts, not so much. And what he would do is he would walk through the countryside and he would say, he was preparing the way for Jesus and he did that by saying, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. Because the king was coming. Jesus was coming. And one of the things he did was he always just, he shot straight. He'd say, repent, the kingdom is coming. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. He would baptize them. In, in preparation for Jesus coming and what Jesus was going to do. And it's interesting because the common people loved him. The common people loved him, I believe in part because he just shot straight. He just t- said it like it was. He told the truth. So what I'm going to do, and if you're not super familiar with the story, is I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of give you a recap and tell the story quickly. And then we're going to actually read um, some of the story um, from the Bible so that hopefully by doing both those things, you'll get a good handle on what's going on. And I think it will, it will make a difference for you. The context was in that time period, Antipas, who was in charge, was, they always called him a Herod. Um, this was Herod Antipas. The guy Herod Antipas was in charge. He was like the king in the area, and he was running everything, and he was married. King Herod Antipas was married, and he fell in love. You think, doesn't that happen like before you get married? Here's the problem. He was married, and he fell in love with someone else. It gets worse. He fell in love with his brother's wife. Now, I don't care what era you're living in, that's a no-go. And he fell in love with his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. You'll want to remember that name, Herodias. And so, because he was king, he felt he could do whatever he want. He divorced his wife, had his wife divorce his brother, and he married his brother's wife, Herodias. You can imagine it didn't end well. But John the Baptist looked at that and called him out. Said, nope, that's not a good thing. That's, that's not just a bad thing. You're breaking the law. He said, this is a bad thing. And because of that, Herodias, the wife, hated John the Baptist. 
She wanted to just take care of it and have him taken care of for good. Um, And Herod Antipas didn't, but he had John the Baptist arrested. It's like, I'll do that much. He had him arrested. And that's, we're going to pick up the story there. Um, We're going to look at it from both Mark and Matthew. But in Mark 6, here's what it says about this story. Verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. Now, we know that he did that because of Herodias, but he's the one who gave the orders. He gave orders to have John arrested, had him bound and put in prison. So I want you to keep that thought. Where's John the Baptist now? In prison. He's bound up, he's chained, he's in prison. Jesus was coming, going through the countryside with his animal skins, eating locusts and honey, preaching that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming. And you have to repent, turn to him. And and the kingdom is here. And he was following what God wanted him to do. It said he had John bound and put in prison, Herod did. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, this is why all of this happened. John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You can imagine that didn't go over well. It didn't go over well, really, with Herod, but it really didn't go over well with Herodias. So in verse verse 19, it says, So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted, what does it say? To kill him. Lesson number one today. Don't mess with women. (laughs) It'll start out good, and it'll end up with blood. Just, that's lesson number one. She nursed a grudge and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod, the king, feared John and protected him, and here's why, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. He had actually listened to John. He knew that John wasn't a bad guy. He knew that John was a good guy. He was a righteous, a holy man. He was saying what he needed to say, doing what he needed to do. And Herod respected that. He didn't even want to put him in jail, but he had to because of Herodias. But he at least kept her from killing him. Um, And so we find John. Where's John? In jail. He's in prison. He's bound in prison. And in prison, he's there for faithfully serving God. He's there for doing the right thing. It's like not only doing the right thing, but Jesus actually said of John that of all the men born of women, you're the greatest. That's what he said about John the Baptist. And so John, his, his, he's young, like Jesus. They're only 30s, you know. And he had been trying to follow Jesus, or not follow Jesus, but announce Jesus. He had been trying to serve God. He had been announcing the arrival of Jesus. And when people would come, he would baptize them because they repented of their sins, but he would always point them to Jesus, and he would say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus came to him to be baptized, and John's like, no, no, you should baptize me. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie the laces of your shoes. And Jesus said, this is the way it's got to be. And John baptized Jesus. So John is just doing everything that God has asked him to do. And he's and he wait and put in prison for doing what's right. And he waits and waits and waits. Now, if you're like me, we would think surely Jesus would rescue him in this case. 
We actually just sang about it. In our first song, I had to write it down because I have a good memory, but it's short. In that first, uh, first song, we sang that we serve a prison-shaken Savior. And you would think that Jesus would come to the rescue of his cousin John, who was just trying to do the right thing. And John waits and waits and waits in prison. I need to see a show of hands. How many of you think that John stayed strong in his faith when he was in prison? Can you see your hands? Okay. How many of you think that he struggled in his faith? Okay, now, how many of you didn't want to raise your hand because you think it's a trick question? <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. Here's what we have to remember. John the Baptist, as amazing as he was, was a human, like us. And like us, it's very easy to have second thoughts. It's very easy to have doubts when you don't hear, when you don't hear anything, when what you see is, I was just trying to do what's right, and here I am in jail, just waiting in jail. Here's what it says. We shift to Matthew's account of it, Matthew 11, and it says this. When John, who was where? In prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He didn't even get to see it. He just heard about it. He sent his disciples. I'm going to stop right there. It's interesting to me that um, Jesus, his cousin, the one who, who could have shaken the prison loose and John would be free, Jesus doesn't even come visit him. John's disciples are there. That's it. And so John's like hearing all these stories and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You can understand why he asked that question. He's doing everything he's supposed to do, what he's right, and, and, and what, what God has told him to do, and he's doing the right thing, and here he is in prison. And he's having second thoughts. He's having doubts in prison. And, and if, you're, if you're like me, in that position, you would probably do the same thing. Here's what I would be thinking. You're doing all these incredible miracles for strangers. What about me? I'm your cousin. I don't think he pulled the cousin card. I think what he did was say, I'm trying to serve you. I'm giving my life for you. He said, you, you go to a wedding where you don't know half the people and you turn about me. Here's how, here's how the next verse says. Jesus replied. He replied to the disciples that John sent him. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. He didn't go talk to John. He didn't set John free. He didn't do all these amazing things. He just told the disciples um, when they ask, are you the one or are we waiting for someone else? He said, go back and tell John what you hear and see. And here's what they heard and saw. And it was, it was from um, a, a prophecy 750 years before that. And Jesus says, here's what's happening. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John would have known that reference from the Old Testament. He would have known that Jesus was saying, this is, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing. That was the message that he sent back. And then he has one more thing that's really hard to understand. I've heard it interpreted a million different ways, and it's just tough to understand. And if I were John, this would be a hard one to hear. John's in prison for doing the right thing. And Jesus said, all these great things are happening. The blind receive sight. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he adds, blessed is anyone who does not stumble 
on account of me. And it's like, whoa, what does that mean? Is he saying that you are stumbling a little bit, John, in your faith? I don't know that that's what he was saying. I don't know how John took it. But his question is, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus didn't say. He did not answer that question. He didn't say, of course I'm the one, and there's an earthquake coming. You're getting out soon. Don't worry. He didn't say any of that. And John is still left with his questions. He says, you know, I, I've lived my life for you, as short as it is. I'm obviously close to dying for you, and this is all you've got? Is just to tell me this? If I were John, here's what I'd be saying. At least come yourself. It's like saying to somebody, could you tell them happy birthday for me? It's like, at least tell them yourself. At least come yourself. And that didn't happen. So that's the situation. Meanwhile, back at the palace, Herod Antipas decides it's party time. We're going to have a party in the palace, like a kegger, a party where everybody is drinking. Everybody is drunk at this party. The king's throwing a party, everybody's drunk. And you remember his new wife, who he shouldn't have, Herodias? Her daughter, Salome, dances for all these drunk guys. This teenage daughter gets out there and dances. Now, because my mind is pure, I'm sure that all she did was they had beautiful music playing and she was doing this incredible ballet dance. And everybody was thinking how cool it was. And you're laughing because you know that's not what happened. I don't know if they had invented twerking yet, but if they did, it probably would have been happening there. And the whole thing is just bad. All the guys, all the people, king included, they're all drunk there, and I can just see the king. He's drunk enough that it's this, oh, I love you, man, and he's saying that to everybody, and everybody's having their good old time and drunk guys, and the king loves it, like, way more than he should, as do all the other drunk guys. And the king now is going to show off because he's the king. And he says, oh, that was so amazing. I'll tell you what, that was so good, I'll give you anything you want. He's the king. He can do this. What do you want? Anything. She's, Salome is a teenager. So you know what she's thinking. I get a pony. I get a new iPhone. I get tickets to to Taylor Swift concert, and he's the king. They'd be really good seats. So the girl doesn't know what to ask for. She goes to her mom. Remember her mom? Her mom is Herodias. Okay? Enough said. Mom, mom, what should I ask for? He said I could have anything. Her mom looks at her and says, ask him for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Salome's like, hmm, that wasn't on my list. <laughs> I can't disobey my mom. So that's what's happened now. So I'm sure the party has died down a little bit because there's some weirdness happening here. So she asks for the head of John the Baptist who has just tried to follow Jesus. So if you're not familiar with the story, I'm, let me fill you in on what happens. There is this incredible earthquake all of the ground shakes, and this angel, like nine foot tall, blonde angel shows up with two flaming swords, and he blinds everybody except Herodias. He says, you got to watch this. 
And then everybody falls dead. And the music starts to build. I know where it's coming from because they're all dead, but just work with me here. The music starts to build. The smoke comes up and out through the smoke, no chains, not bound, comes John the Baptist. His face is blue like Mel Gibson. And he comes through the smoke yelling, Freedom! It gets better. Things work out so well that he meets and he marries a gorgeous animal skin model who happens to like locust and honey. They move into an amazing house in the suburbs. They have two kids and a dog. The kids, a boy and a girl, are named John and Baptiste. <laughs> and the dog, God was not really happy with this, but they named the dog Herodias. And you're thinking, I don't think that happened, Tim. Here's what is the head of verse 26 of Mark 6. She asks for this, the head of John the Baptist, and the king was greatly distressed. Duh. You fear this guy, but yet you respect him incredibly, and now what are you going to do? In front of everybody, here's what is asked for. And so it says, but because of his oaths, because he said he would do it, and because of his dinner guests, because he wanted to look good, he did not want to refuse her. So... We're right in the middle of this party. Immediately, he sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. I'm not sure what happened to the party. Any of the parties that I've been to, that probably would have ended the party. I have a feeling it didn't necessarily end this party. We read this, and it's almost like, what? Jesus was his cousin. Jesus had the power to rescue John. It, it had happened a couple other times in the New Testament where somebody was in prison, and he freed them. He had the power to rescue John, but he didn't. He didn't even answer his questions. Where is God? When God seems inattentive or when God seems silent. See, here's the thing we have to remember. John's desire, according to John, his desire was fulfilled because his desire was to prepare the way for the Lord. That was his whole purpose for being, was to prepare the way for the Lord. And as it got close to the time when Jesus was going to do his thing, John said, he must increase. I must decrease. And he did. Like a head shorter, he decreased. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, it's true. But John's desire, it was fulfilled. But more importantly, God's purpose was fulfilled. God's purpose was fulfilled that the the, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the good news is proclaimed. His purpose was fulfilled, just not according to John's plan. 
And you might be listening to the Proverbs. I've had plans too that kind of turned out that way. Proverbs 19. It's probably the best verse in the whole Bible for this. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We all have plans. We all know what should happen. We all know best because we're in the situation. We know what should happen. And I'm pretty sure that there are as many illustrations of this right here as there are people listening to this right now. I knew what should happen and God didn't listen. He didn't come through. What's the deal? See, we forget. We forget that we see this much. We think we know it all and we only see this much. And God sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows it's going to happen 100 years from now. But we see this thing and say, my plans, my plans didn't work. Here's what we need to understand. If you're taking notes, this is huge. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. If you do, get used to disappointment. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Because I know way too many people who have been walking with Jesus and serving Jesus and they have prayed for someone and prayed for someone and prayed for someone who was sick, who had something wrong with them, and that person died. It's like, what about me, God? I was serving you. This, is, this was the plan. The plan wasn't for them to die. Or I know way too many people who have, they have their job, they've worked really hard at their job, they've done what was right in their job. They've served at their job like they're serving Jesus. Do something wrong, something would happen, the, the economy would crash, the, somebody at the company would do something wrong, a million different things happen and that person loses their job. And it's like, I was just trying to do what's right, God. Where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayer? I know so many people that are struggling with things. They're struggling with depression. They're struggling with physical things that they're praying for. And they're saying, I'm just trying to serve you, God. And if you could do this, it would be way better. And we ask the question, what's the plan? What's the plan here, God? And what I have discovered in my years of walking with him is he he may answer you, what's the plan? He never tells me what's the plan. You know what he says? Do you trust my purpose? Do you trust me? Even when you don't know the plan, do you trust me? Do you trust my purpose? And what's happened over these years for me, is that I have, I'm not saying I've arrived, I'm so far from arriving, I'm not even at the gate yet, okay? But one of the things I've learned is that in all of this, my faith is no longer in the plan. My faith is not in my plan. It's in God's purpose. Julie and I were talking last night, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an illustration here because this has happened so many times in my life and in our lives that I can't even count. 
It's like, I can't even think of one illustration. And it hit me this morning. The reason that I couldn't think of an illustration of this is because the plans, I have already forgotten them. It was a big deal at the moment, but it's not a big deal anymore because my plan was this, but God's purpose was so much greater and God used it when I didn't get my way to grow me. And when I look back, I don't see all of the things that I didn't get because they weren't part of my plan or God's plan. What I do is I look back and I see God has used all those things to grow me. He's used all those things to help me trust Him more and realize that I don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. I'm going to fast forward a few years in the story and you're going to see somebody else who had similar thoughts and it may surprise you. We're looking at just a few years beyond this, three years beyond this, and Jesus is in the garden praying. He's in the garden praying to his father because he knows in a very, in moments, he's going to be arrested. He never did anything wrong. All he did was the father's will. But in moments, he's going to be arrested. He's going to go through four illegal trials in which they find nothing wrong with him. And then he's going to be beaten. He's going to be whipped scourged, mocked, punched, slapped, and forced to carry his cross to the place where they crucify him. He knows that's what's coming. He knows that's days out. And Jesus is in the garden. And I don't know if you remember what he said, but he he said to his father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? It's kind of John the Baptist question. But then Jesus said, he essentially said the same thing. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He essentially said, not my plan, your purpose. See, we're not the only ones who struggle with this. A very short time after that, He was hanging on the cross. And I don't know if you remember, there were seven things he said on the cross. The one that gets me the most is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, I've never been able to say that. He's never forsaken me. And then I realized Jesus said that on the cross because God turned his back on him for that moment because he had my sin on him. He had your sin on him. He didn't do anything wrong. He had that moment where God turned his back on him. He had had intimate fellowship with God since eternity past, forever. This is the first time in the history of the universe this happened. And it happened for me and for you. And so it would be really easy to look at that and say, well, that's not going according to plan. Yeah, it is. You don't have to trust the plan or understand the plan to trust God's purpose. God had a purpose in that that was far beyond what was happening in that moment. That's why I'm standing here today. 
That's why we have the truth today that Jesus can set you free. Jesus can take in the middle of all of your stuff. He can set you free and give you joy. The stuff may or may not change. That's irrelevant. That's just the plans we have. His purpose is sure. So you don't have to understand the plan to trust God and to trust His purpose. And when God seems inattentive, when He seems silent to you, just because He's silent doesn't mean He's absent. It's far bigger than us. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. I know that, I know that many of you have and are struggling with many things that you kind of had it figured out and your plan seemed really good and when you prayed about it and have prayed about it, it just didn't work out that way. You didn't have control over it, but God just didn't seem to come to the rescue for you. Father, I know that there are many here who are followers of you. They've stepped across that line from unbelief to belief. They've placed their faith and trust in you and what you accomplished on the cross, paying for our sins so that we can turn from our sins, turn to you, and have this incredible relationship with you. I know there are many here who have done that, who have still doubted and who have still struggled because I'm one of them. We, we think we have it figured out and you just don't seem to be listening. I pray, Father, that we would be able to look past what we see as silence and realize you've never left us. You're right there with us. And that we don't have to understand the plan to trust your purpose. That we can say, I don't know, but I trust him. He's never let me down. I trust him. And Father, I know there's people listening to this who they've not yet crossed that line. Maybe they're not followers of you because of this, because of a prayer that wasn't answered, that it seemed to be answered for other people who didn't even deserve it as well. But you didn't answer their prayer. And because of that, they've turned from you. I pray that today they would recognize that the picture is bigger than that and that you came and you lived a sinless, holy, perfect life and willingly gave it up for us on the cross so that we could turn to you, we could turn from our sins, turn to you, place our faith and trust in you and become a child of the King, knowing that we still have our plans, appear in have our plans, but it's your purpose that prevails. And that in those times when you appear inattentive or silent, you're, you're growing our faith in you and in your purpose. And that in simple faith, anybody who doesn't know you and hasn't experienced that yet would say, Jesus, I want that. I believe that what you did was for me. And I'm placing my trust and my faith and everything I have in you. And we know, Father, when that happens, all of heaven rejoices. We know when that happens, there is a change that begins in their heart and life. They are changed from the inside out, made new, and they are on a journey now that is unlike any other, that we can be free from our sins in the past, forgiven. We can have meaning and purpose in life today and a hope for the future. Father, thank you for that. And my prayer is that we would be able to see that your purpose 
prevails, that we can have faith in you because you are a good, good God. Thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.